0: Heads up, friends, the unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs or indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. As e evolves, revenue is becoming less meaningful than another metric, your profit. It's not just about revenue when rising ad costs and tight margins are at play. Enter Store Hero, your new ally in turning profit-centric visions into reality, by bringing together your sales, marketing, and operational costs, Store Hero provides a crystal clear view of your real profitability down to each order's contribution margin. Now, deciding on advertising budgets with confidence is within reach thanks to a platform that prioritizes profit over revenue. Eager to embrace a profit-first e-com journey? Visit storehero.ai to schedule a demo and unveil a platform built for the forward-thinking profit-first brand. And here's a special bonus for you. Mention the unofficial Shopify podcast during that demo. Get a free profitability audit for 2024. That's storehero.ai. On this episode, we are going to talk to a Dragons Den alum, a former Shopifyer, and the CEO of uh, one of Ottawa's fastest-growing companies. The yes, we have with us the CEO of Bush Balm Skincare, a one David Gaylord, and he is going to walk us through how they went from an idea at a Shopify offsite to uh, one of these these incredible fast growing companies and how uh, not just going direct to consumer but also omni channel retail wholesale how all of that came together to achieve their success. Let's see what we can unpack and learn here in
1: this episode.
0: I'm your host Kurt Elster. Check nasty and this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. David, welcome.
1: I forgot about those. I love I love the sound effects. That's incredible. The uh,
0: you know I mean. I've been going easy on the sound effects lately. Uh, I, if I I think it, at some point I hit peak sound effect. I was really abusing it.
1: Yeah, um, happy to be here. Super super excited. Been a long time listener, so excited to actually be on the show.
0: Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you. But let's start with Bush Bomb.
1: What is Bush Bomb? Yeah, so Bush Bomb started as just a, an idea that we weren't sure on the use case. Uh, Bush, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, down there tear and then a uh, ball oh, we're, we're not talking about gardening no 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 not talking about gardening uh we actually call it bikini line skincare um okay but uh, when we started we were going to launch a balm, hence the name bush Balm. and then we turned out uh it was actually quite difficult and we had the resources to launch a bomb so we went with an oil product and then a sugar-based scrub but at the heart of bush Balm, uh ingrown hairs razor burn um it's horrible, sucks. Nobody likes it, and that's all we do. And our focus really is on the bikini line, so we're we're more geared towards the female market. Uh, we actually don't do anything on the male side, um, and yeah, right now we're we're DSC. We're sold in about three thousand waxing salons, and then we're also in about a thousand Ulta Beauty doors uh, this March, which has been a big big change.
0: I was gonna say that that is quite the success to get into a, a big retail chain, and then thousands of them. Um, but before we get to that, the thing I assume that came first was was the idea, when did this start?
1: Yeah, so it was 2016. Uh, Tim and Mel, uh, the founding couple, they're on their honeymoon. And uh, Mel used Tim's beard oil to freshen up down there. And uh, kind of a weird conversation uh, led to one thing. And then uh, at a Shopify offsite, uh, Tim, I worked with him at Shopify for many years. He said the idea too, there's about 60 of us at an offsite and uh, everybody laughed, thought it was like a terrible idea. This is 2016 kind of ahead of its time. And then I have eczema, so I've been using oils, skincare for eczema, which is is also no fun. And I love the idea. I thought it was great. Um, and it, in my role at Shopify, I was kind of corporate and I didn't get to do marketing, which is what I went to university for. So I ended up doing a lot of the marketing, like the web, the Shopify, Tim did all the operations. And then Mel is a very uh, gifted graphic designer. So uh, the three of us kind of got to work. They
0: had this idea. You love the idea. You had a marketing background. How quickly from idea to this is a thing you could buy do we go?
1: Uh, it, it probably took us about um, four months to launch. Uh, and we, we actually only launched with about $3,000. So we we didn't throw a lot into it. We all had full-time jobs. Mel had uh, her own business as well at the time. So yeah, we didn't have much time. We didn't have much money. We were still like fairly junior Shopify employees. And this was before kind of all the chaos. And uh, yeah, we launched and we had a a few hundred products. Um, And then the first year, we probably sold like two grand. Like that's it. And it, it didn't take us, it took us until about 2020 to actually start to find our product market fit, our niche, our packaging, all of that. So a good four years to, to really get going. In that four years, what
0: do you think is the the impactful changes that happened where this thing went from, okay, it makes sales, but less than what it costs us to uh, a, a business so successful, you wanted to quit your job to pursue it?
1: Yeah. So it, it was a few things. One was we went to a uh, Etsy show. So the platform I don't even know if we had an Etsy account. I don't know how they accepted us, but we had a booth, like a trade show booth there. And customers came in and we tried to sell our product. And every single day, we actually changed the sign. So we used different language. So the first day was like bush oil. The second day was like cubic hair oil. And then the final day was like ingrown hair prevention. Right away, people were like, oh, yeah, that's actually super useful. Like, I have that issue. The first day, people were like spitting their drinks up. They're like, oh, <laughs> that's disgusting. Why would I? So it, that wording really changed. And then we did a, a really professional photo shoot, which helped the brand in so many ways. And then the last thing we did was we found an ad creative that told the story really, really well. Um, and that right there just kind of, us to a new level where it, essentially people just understood what we were selling, whereas before it was hard to even imagine what it was. So you
0: through testing in person at an event, you know, one on one, which that in person event stuff really quite beneficial early in uh, a a product development path is what we've learned on this show, and so you, you've got. The tagline figured out when the moment you, you start agitating the pain, you lead with, well, this is the, the pain or problem we're solving, which ingrown hairs, ingrown hairs, universally bad. Nobody wants this. Um, and you, you picked a, um, you then combined it with an area, bikini line, where people really had not been addressing it in this way previously. And so you've got a specific pain or problem a solution for it, and then we're, we're adding a, a niche to it, a niche. How did your Shopify experience come into play here? Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I assume this is on Shopify.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we, people actually do ask me that a lot, and I, I learned a lot of stuff at Shopify, but as far as like the, the folks at Shopify that I worked with, and most people there are excellent. And they're amazing. But I think that people, the thing people don't realize is like Shopify is a tech company. So like the fact they think people are like, oh, if you worked at Shopify, you'll know how to run an e-commerce business, which is like so far from the truth. Um, so the things that Shopify really helped is like as we scaled, I just like knew how to build spreadsheets and models and understand like finances. And y- you had a lot of those like business operations things. Um, but on the marketing side, yeah, there, there actually wasn't like, Many folks who understood how merchants really ran, how they operated that way. Um, as far as like product development, like the things that Shopify would do is, is very expensive and difficult and fancy. And whereas like our business is so different than that, we're trying to make costs like efficient, affordable. Um, so yeah, the things that really did help, like now I look back as our team, we're about 30 people. That helps a lot. As we have this bigger team, I've seen what like bigger teams at Shopify look like how they do the annual budgeting process, all of that, that's been incredibly beneficial. Uh, but yeah, in the early days, the the ways that it helped is like, they just encouraged it. And Shopify was like, yeah, start your business, learn how to use the platform, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, some of the hard marketing growth scale, like we didn't quite have the uh, support that uh, I thought I would just naturally learn uh, while being at that kind of mothership.
0: So there, a lot of you learned a lot of soft skills. But then at the the same time, there were some that kind of surprised you. And it sounds like it was um, some of the marketing stuff, maybe even like down to positioning.
1: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Like seeing some of that. And then the other piece too is like, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't know what total addressable market was until I worked at Shopify. And then you hear it all the time, like our TAM for this new channel expansion or that. Uh, And then within Bushbomb, you bring those things and you say, okay. Are we actually a super niche company or do we have like a, a potentially big enough amp? you're like oh yeah well, here's why the numbers are you do the research So yeah those I, I'd say like biz, just business skills in general Shopify actually uh, did an awesome job of like helping people understand how how businesses function um, and then yeah obviously like the the high standards of Shopify also is uh, is very good to, to know
0: despite those skills and what I assume was a good experience, at some point you quit
1: yeah right. What? When is that? What's the moment? We got to actually about, I think we were about $2 in revenue, and we still hadn't hired an employee. So it was just all of us part-time, doing this on the side of our desk. At one point, I was doing fulfillment, and then we got a 3PL, so life got a little easier. Um, And then we we kept growing. And I I believe that was middle of 2021 uh, is when we had our first employee. Um, And then a few, Tim quit first, and then I quit shortly after that. And I, it was a hard, that was actually a really hard decision because at the time I had my, my best job ever at Shopify and I was doing things that I didn't think I would have been doing two, three years ago. Um, but yeah, Bomb at that point, when I went full-time was about five people. Um, so doing it from the side of my desk uh, as the CEO was not the, the right play at the time probably. Um, but it, bootstrapping and being lean like that, it actually helps you to build tons of systems. Like be, be really careful with your time. So I do appreciate that, but looking back, yeah, maybe I, I should have quit a, a year or two earlier.
0: You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you have success bias. Like you, from where you are now, you know it works out if you quit. When you were on the other side of that decision, it seems like a much riskier proposition and quite the gamble. At the same time, if I had a product business that I'm doing part-time? Is it already doing multiple millions? And probably be like, all right, what happens if we go full-time with this?
1: Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. It, looking back, you're like, oh, we should have done that. But at, at the same time, looking back at the those years, I didn't even know how big this company could be. And every year I realized like, oh, how much bigger the, the company could be. And then we bring on more people, we scale, like it, it's been quite amazing. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, like the last five years has been hard. Everything about this, journey's hard. There's ups and downs all the way. Um, it's just, yeah, now seeing it. Uh, we've had a good uh, year. So I'm at the end of the year. I'm like, oh, now I'm all uh, all happy about where we're at. But yeah, definitely ups and downs.
0: Your ego and your livelihood are wrapped up in it in a way where it's hard not to take wins and losses personally. For sure. Which could be dangerous.
1: Yeah, no, that, I think that's the toughest part of being a founder is, yeah, you're, you're tied up in your livelihood sometimes it's it's not just you it's like the team right so if you hire someone you want them to grow be successful and then you have 20 30 people like you want them all to be successful and it, it does get challenging you you take a yeah it, it, you take a lot personally to make sure it is a success um, whereas when I was kind of doing my corporate gig you uh if this whole thing fails I've still got my corporate gig so you, you feel less pressure whereas now I feel all kinds of pressure every single day which is I think healthy
0: as long as it doesn't overwhelm you or eat you alive, that stress becomes positive. It becomes motivating. It's you stress. Exactly. The one that really blows my mind, you were on Dragon's Den in the summer of 2020, and you would have still been working at Shopify.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we were both actually working at Shopify at that time. Um, so we both had quarter jobs. We, we actually didn't have a single employee when that was going. Um, so yeah, on the show, we said we were on track to do 1.8 million um, in revenue. And uh, what was crazy about it is, 1.8 million is still a small business, but we pitched in February, right before COVID, and we said we're on pace to do $600,000. And between February and July, when we felt our value, like our yearly revenue, changed by like I guess 1.2 million in that span. And I don't know how we did it, but somehow we managed to keep up with inventory. All that we barely sold out during COVID, um, hmm. and then the following year. The following year, we went from, I think we were 1.8 million and we went to 8.3. And that year was the, staying in stock was like physically impossible. And that was like the heart and heart of COVID. When that was the glory days of DDC, I would say. And I had had spending.
0: What, that Dragon's Den, did they, did you get the deal? Did they give you the money?
1: Uh, We got a deal, yeah. But uh, I think it's a little different than Shark Tank. I don't know what percentage of like how many deals on Shark Tank go through. Yeah, we, we actually had one of the best episodes like I've I've seen. Like everything was smooth. There was like n- almost no negativity, almost no pushback, and we we got a deal for exactly what we asked for. So like you, you almost never see hmm. that, right? Um, but yeah, after the show, the deal actually never went through. Um, we're quite close with the uh, Arlene and her team that um, we got the deal with. Just they they tend to do bigger investments. So on the show, they probably only do a couple of those, whereas. Uh, we're actually bigger now. Where we're talking with their team, and we actually fit their their like investment thesis much more now. Uh, whereas before, yeah, we were just we were way too small uh, to to even work out. I would say.
0: Crowdfunding campaigns are great. You can add social proof and urgency to your product pre-orders while reducing risk of failure. But with traditional crowdfunding platforms, you're paying high fees and giving away control all while your campaign is lost in a sea of similar offers. It can be frustrating. That's why we built CrowdFunder, the Shopify app that turns your Shopify product pages into your own independent crowdfunding campaigns. We originally created CrowdFunder for our private clients, And it was so successful, we turned it into an app that anyone can use. Today, merchants using CrowdFunder have raised millions collectively. With CrowdFunder, you'll enjoy real-time tracking, full campaign control, and direct customer engagement. And it's part of the Built for Shopify program, so you know it's easy to use. So say goodbye to high fees and hello to successful store-based crowdfunding. Start your free trial and transform your Shopify store into a pre-order powerhouse today Search crowdfunder in the Shopify app store to get started. So, it, yeah, that's the thing that's not obvious from watching Shark Tank or Dragon's Den. Um, the, just because they made the offer on the show doesn't mean it actually gets followed through on after the fact. And that's not necessarily um, a bad thing. I mean, you still got totally a, yeah, the yeah. public win and the publicity. It, but it sounds like you're... So it... it didn't get funded, but now you're back talking to them again.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I think the pe- piece people don't realize with Dragon Sand or Shark Tank is we actually went into that show and left that show being the tightest with our financials we've ever well, now we're really tight from it. but you you like lock everything up. you understand your data better than ever. So it actually was a is a great like lesson for learning in the business because yeah, without doing that, we might have had like sloppy financials. Whereas right away we sent them due diligence, like they understood what was going on. Like it it was very useful uh, on the business side. But yeah, I, I can only imagine 10, 15, 20% of deals go through. Can't be much more than that.
0: And I saw you have done a very clever thing. If I Google Dragon's Den Bush Balm, I don't necessarily get it, the the TV show page about it. I get the landing page on your website.
1: Yeah. I am a big SEO fan. Um Anything we can kind of work out on the SEO side. Lots to learn there, but uh, yeah, any of those little subtle links will uh, likely get you, I don't know, one, two, three, four clicks a day, which which adds up over a few years. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And yeah, this page looks good. And we've had other, uh, other merchants, other clients on Shark Tank do the same thing after they saw, oh, every time the show re-airs, we get this huge traffic spike. How do we capture more of that? And the answer of course is you know, make a page, a landing page, direct match keywords, uh, sharing your experience directly. Yeah. And, you know, often uh, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Google's gonna put you in the the top few results because it's talking about you specifically.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look at how many clicks we actually get, but we do get the odd spike in every sound I'm like, why is Canada having sales right now? And it's yeah, it re-airs usually two, three times a year.
0: And so what I'm looking at Bushbalm site. It looks really good. How many, how many products do we have on this store? How many SKUs?
1: Yeah, I think we're like, I don't know, probably like 16 SKUs, maybe eight or core and then 16 or just like other products. And then you probably add on top of that, another 10 bundles. So give or take, like we, we probably have about 30 SKUs that that we promote in various ways. Um, we do a lot of bundling. Actually, every week, typically, our number one SKU is not an individual item, but it's a bundle, uh, which has been like unreal for our AOV has gone up like three X in the last four years just by like focusing on what bundles to promote and how. Um, So yeah, we focus mostly on bundles, and then we separate based on like concern is a big part of our business, Um, and then we also sell our trimmer, which is a it's a totally different audience. So trying to Merchandise all the different audiences on the site is our probably one of our biggest challenges, uh, but so far, so far it's worked quite well. But uh, we're still kind of learning there. For sure,
0: I think there was a ton of value in what you just said. You said, "Hey, we lean a lot on bundles. We're trying to increase average order value, and uh, we have different audiences, so we're we're tweaking our offers, our landing pages, etc. For them." which brings me to my next point. You said you've got like, there's a few dozen SKUs on this site, but you actually have over 2,000 pages indexed in Google. And so there's, yeah, there's, you know, let's say even if you had 100 SKUs, all right, well, the other 2,000 pages, where did those come from? These, are they landing pages, SEO efforts? That's a lot of pages. Is this
1: a surprise to you? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite a few. Um, we do have quite a, uh, a large number of blog posts which do quite well for us for SEL. Like we've got a few blogs now that get over like 150 clicks per day. So the, those just drive a lot of like organic traffic, which is amazing. And then we do have tons of collection pages that we have like throughout our navigation. Um, but yeah, that's a lot of pages. My guess is it's it's probably also landing pages, which I, I it was funny, since I worked at Shopify, we got free Shopify sites. I was like, part of it, you could just build a sh- site, so instead of buying a landing page software back in the day, I just would have different sites and I would just link them back to our site and they would be like the trimmer page, this page, and I had six variations of each. So under my account in Shopify, it was 50 page, fifty different sites probably. And then our data was all screwed up and our, our conversion rate on the, our original site looked like 6 7%. Um, so now we've we brought that all obviously into the one theme. Um, but yeah, we've been using landing pages the last six, seven years. For all of our ads, like ever since the beginning, we've been doing that. Um, and yeah, now, like you won't see a bomb ad that doesn't go to a landing page for sure.
0: Is that one of like the easiest low hanging fruit for people who don't are just sending ads direct to a page as opposed to dedicated landing page that kind of echoes the offer?
1: Y- yeah, I'd say for sure. Um, and for us, we do it on certain things. Like we do a lot of uh, limited edition scents that we launch. And so, for those, we optimize a page where you actually sign up to get on the email list for it. And then once it launches, we have like a custom page for all of that. Um, so, I think just everywhere in the funnel, if you could make it so someone clicks the landing page, they get 20% off. And then they click a collection page off that landing page. You kind of want to have the 20% come over with them as well. So, just looking at the funnel and where people end up, I think is quite important. But yeah, we have a lot of pages that are, I would say, like first tier landing pages, and then second level landing pages as well.
0: It shows that hyper um, segmentation to keep everything as relevant as possible result. It, it's a lot of work upfront for you. You know, there, there's a lot of pages here relative to the number of products, but it has paid off in that this business is is very successful and growing quickly. And so, relative to the amount of revenue generated it no longer seems like a ton of effort now, does it?
1: No, not at all. Yeah, we actually hired, uh, I was the website person for quite a long time and uh, it was actually last year I hired uh, a merchandiser full-time and that that role in hire has been, it's just freed me up to do so much more in the business and also somewhat focused on it full-time. There's so many more tests we can run. We actually just did a, we just did a uh, end of year review and so far this year, I think we've already ran, it was something like, Three hundred. It was almost a test a day for like A/B tests on the on the website, which I thought was kind of crazy. Um, maybe that's not that high, but it, for for our team, a year ago we probably did like ten. So it it's kind of a been crazy growth on our end.
0: No, a test a day is extremely aggressive and impressive.
1: Yeah, um, it's been it's been a lot of fun the merchandising side because uh, yeah, we, a year ago we weren't sophisticated at all, and that impact, especially with the iOS changes. Being able to actually convert at a rate that we could stay profitable has uh, been really hard. I'm sure everyone's kind of gone through the same thing. So yeah, that that role in general has been uh, pretty big for us.
0: You would have seen what happened to a lot of people, which was, you know, e-commerce is creeping up. Then you know, if you're in the right place at the right time, it explodes for you during the pandemic, and then. Apple decides to ruin everybody's fun with the iOS changes that made ads really expensive and difficult to run for a period of like a good 18 to 24 months. So where, how did that, how did that impact you? Did you, it sounds like you saw this and then the just absolute segmentation landing pages, et cetera, is how you got your way out of it.
1: No, not at all. Actually, we're still, we were doing that before. So we were like, segmenting audiences like the the thing with us is we were humming like covid we were spending facebook ads were converting extremely high like everything was really working Um, and like the cycle of it's really really working maybe you hire too many people we we didn't quite get there so we just scaled with our team that we had and luckily that worked out Um, and then last year it was probably our toughest time in q4 Uh, we had some email deliverability issues um, and ads just weren't converting um, and what we realized is like our business is quite seasonal now. So we know like the summer months are going to be much better for us. Uh, but how, how we actually caught out of it into being, I'd say our business right now is the strongest it's ever been. Um, probably because we have Canada as a C business, US as a separate C business, like totally different ad structures, accounts. Uh, we also have this wholesale business. So we're in uh, about 3,000 waxing salons. And we don't run that like your traditional wholesale business where it's like a sales rep calling out, inverting people over the phone and you have 20 account managers. We actually have one account manager and one salesperson. Um, so the majority of that program is run like a DGC company. So people come in, they create their own account, they start to buy. And then the last one was uh, retail. So this year we've added Alta and then a, a few other retailers. So that revenue has been huge. Um, but on the same end, DGC is still like hard um, the only difference now is we know when we could spend a lot and we know when we should pull back spend um, to be more profitable which for us it's like october november december we actually pull back spend quite a bit because it's seasonality wise not our, our time to shine um, and then that wholesale waxing salon business it's really hard to figure out wholesale for a DTC business and if you can actually build it out in a way that is scalable like the DTC model it's incredibly powerful. So that business, like we, the 3,000 accounts, our retention on that over like one year, I believe, is 75%. So like repeat rate and, and frequency of purchase is so fast just because when their shelves are empty, they know to rebuy instead of uh, requiring like an email or an ad or, or whatnot like D2C.
0: So you add, you start as pure D2C and then you're adding a wholesale business in the form of uh, retailers and of various sizes, you know, independent salons plus Ulta. Yeah. And well, if, all right, let's say you had to pick just one. Do you go straight
1: D2C or straight wholesale? I think it's impossible to do, well, you could figure out how to do just one. The thing we get is the, ideally the cycle. So D2C, we spend a ton of money on ads. We push people. And what happens through that is we get a ton of people to the wholesale accounts because they see Bush bomb or someone comes in for a wax and tells them about Pushbomb. And then the other side of it is like the more we spend on DGC, the more our Amazon and Alta business grows. So they, they all kind of cycle. The biggest challenge is how do you make sure everyone's happy? Because like Alta wants to run a deal or the waxing salons get like an offer a certain time, you launch a new product. So you have to do what's right for each different channel, I suppose. Just so everyone's appreciated, understands what you're doing. But yeah, that that's the hardest part. Um, But yeah, our our waxing salon business is just it's incredible. First off, you're supporting like small small businesses or like solo estheticians, which is super rewarding, and you you kind of see it. And then uh, it's also just a channel where our product market fit is the like it couldn't be better. Like everyone loves it. Our ratings on it are amazing. Like repeat rate, obviously, is amazing. So that, that channel is probably my favorite. Uh, it's also, we're in startup phase with it, right? Like we went from, I think we we're zero accounts. And then last year we got to a thousand. And then this year we'll get to about 3,000. So it's uh it's still in that early startup phase, even though like revenue from it now is creeping up to be one of our, our bigger channels.
0: And you said you've got, there's 3,000 waxing salons. How
1: do you,
0: and they're all independent. How do you maintain relationships at that scale is it like just a variation on retail or it's a newsletter how do we do this
1: yeah it's that's the part every time i was august someone they're like that doesn't make sense there's no way or they think we have a huge sales team but how, how we've done it is really through like automation flows and then we do insert some level of relationship in there but typically it's a webinar which is kind of one to many or you introduce a new product at a certain time and. We have a lot of engagement on social. So sometimes people actually don't need that one-to-one communication. Um, So we do a lot of one-to-many in the channel. Um, And then some of our top tier accounts, obviously, they get more uh, special attention. But the thing that we've realized is for us, we do a lot of product launches and those limited edition scent launches. So with retailers, the more new and exciting things you're doing, the more purchase orders that they want to do because they think, oh, I should have that on my shelves. I should bring that to my customers. So by launching more product, we actually get away from the need to have 15, 20 account managers, and we could have a, a lighter weight process. And then also like the systems, like Shopify and your CRM, your automations and email, like that needs to be really, really strong. Um, and most people click on the Shopify wholesale channel and like no offense to it, I'm sure it's gotten better over the last five years, we've we have like a full separate site with like custom theme everything's built differently like how you purchase how you view pricing like it, it's totally different. So you
0: run an expansion store just for the wholesalers 100% yeah okay
1: yeah, yeah and we run like landing page tests over there we run like funnels to different guides like webinars like there's there's a lot of different marketing tactics kind of I would say more so old school uh, tactics.
0: Black Friday got you freaking? Get your store ready for the holiday rush with Zipify One Click Upsell. With Zipify One Click Upsell, you can capture 10 to 15% more revenue all season long by offering upsells and cross-sells with every purchase. In just a few clicks, you can add highly profitable upsell funnels to your entire store, including on your product pages, Shopping Cart, order confirmation pages, and now, for the first time ever, even on the Shop app. With sky-high conversion rates of 16%, and an average order value increase of $18 per upsell, one-click upsell has generated over half a billion dollars for Shopify stores like yours. Install it and launch your first upsell in just a few minutes to start generating 10 to 15% more revenue today. To get your Shopify store ready for Black Friday, go to Zipify.com Kurt and start your 30-day free trial. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the holiday bonus. Sounds like you're putting a lot more effort into it in building those relationships and getting those wholesalers than we've seen um, other retailers do. But you're doing it in a a smart way. Um, You know, where we have seen people in the past where it's like, it's a lot of just individual managers who have to reach out. It's like, all right, well, you get, you know, there's three and we've broken it up by geographic district and it's just right. you know, going by quantity over quality. You know, how many people can you reach out to?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, in the early days too, if you asked me like, Oh, you guys do wholesale to estheticians. It was probably like somebody emailed me and then I'd do a draft order and then I'd send it to them. And then right. they, it was super manual and frustrating. I think at one point I just like broke and it's like, I'm going to rebuild this from scratch if we, we kind of pulled it all together. Um, and the, the last thing about the channel is since per, it's professional estheticians, right? So this like professional backing for our business is actually massive. And the fact that we fit so well with estheticians and professionals, it means that our relationship with Ulta, um, they want to have like professionally backed brands. So that that actually is like a nice little flywheel for the two of them. The more estheticians we have, the more professionals, the the happier Alta is with our positioning in the market. So this whole cycle is is yeah pretty important. and that D2C like it converts better because people trust it right
0: yeah all these things seem to feed each other like there a flywheel is occurring between these three channels you know, small indie wholesale the large retail wholesale and direct to consumer
1: yeah totally and uh, the only one that's kind of a outsider is like Amazon right and like we don't really promote Amazon much but uh, obviously there it does fairly well uh, we tend to focus more on uh, yeah the DTC as well as like uh, wholesale professional and then wholesale retail.
0: Have you tried a TikTok Shop yet?
1: No, we're Canadian, so we're not we're not allowed. Sadly.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, it's what we've been asking, uh, but yeah, mostly we just do like TikTok ads, and uh, they seem to work fairly well for us.
0: Yeah, the early you know part of it's the excitement of it having launched not that long ago, but we're seeing a, a lot of people make orders and sales with TikTok shop. But then the struggle is the integration could be a little rough right? and just maintaining it. But as far as like, you know, do, is it an effective channel? Does it get sales at the moment? Yeah. Right. It, it does seem to work with and of course with the right offer.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. We're kind of lucky, uh, either lucky or not lucky as a Canadian business. We tend to get everything second, but it, it usually means they like work out the kinks and then they find out what works. The only problem is sometimes you miss that like glory in the first year of something where just the results are way better than the years after. Uh, but it, it kind of slows the business down over here because we, we can't do it probably until next year. The, so
0: having been at Shopify, having run the site for years, having built now realistically multiple stores, right? Because we have expansion stores um, for different markets and customers and all these landing pages. What's your, what are your thoughts? What's your philosophy on web design? How, how perfect do we got to get?
1: Yeah. Um, so we went through a big process to redesign the site a few years back. So we're, we're probably going to get there with uh, our next site. So the wholesale site, we're going to do another redesign there. Um, but yeah, my, my motto has always been like clarity and like photography and text. The piece for me that I'm struggling with between is things can obviously look amazing and not convert. Um, so it's really, you need to find the right agency that looks at the data with you and understands like, okay, what actually converts and what are we going to test to get there? So I'm, I'm, there's a fine line between like a huge new website rebuild versus like incremental components. The tough part of the incremental is it's hard to make it look good. Because right? it's always just like slight changes and at the redesign, there's risk like huge risk there and like will it convert worse than what you already have? So it's a balance of like kind of where you want, what you, what you see and like our redesign that we did that made the site look a lot better and branded better, it actually converted like the same, but so like nothing changed. Uh, AOE did start to go up, which was helpful. But the fact that we did that redesign, it actually led to uh, just a better viewing of our brand. And that's probably one of the reasons we got with Ulta Beauty, because they went to our site, they saw, wow, this, this is like professional, this is beautiful, super well done. So like, th- there's obviously different things to measure against. But yeah, now, now that we're a bit bigger, I'm like, we're testing everything, trying to find out the right language, verbiage, pictures, um, versus uh, in the early days, it was like free theme. I did it, did it myself. Our free theme probably got us to like 8 million in sales. So not anything crazy. There's no frills, no like upsells, nothing like that. Um, but then again, uh, I spoke with someone at Manscaped and they have a team or they used to have a team of about 12 people that just did subscriptions. Y- you can obviously with the right developer scheme, you can do all these things that add tons of revenue and value. But as a small business, we're, we're kind of fighting through the incremental changes as we go um, versus maybe this year, actually, we're going to invest, uh, especially in the wholesale business, like a real a real wholesale website uh, with lots of testing before we launch and uh, yeah, doing a huge, huge change there.
0: And when you say lots of testing before you launch, what is our, what tools are we using? What's our approach here?
1: Yeah, we just switched to, i forget what the company's called, um, as like an A-B testing software, but it, we got it just for the wholesale site. Um, so we, we switched to that. So we're going to be running a bunch of A-B tests on just different Heroes and homepages. We've been using Replo to build quite a few components to test before we kind of bring them into the full feed. Um, So yeah, we've been doing that. And then the other thing is we actually just hired like a freelancer to help us on CRO to run uh, more tests with us. And we we have a great versionizer, but uh, more junior. So having someone come in and act as like a a CRO coach. Um, But what makes it tough internally is like we don't have a developer on staff. So it's, uh, yeah, I think that's a challenge just across the board for probably everyone.
0: Right. Yeah. Hey, here's a test we want to run. So here's what we need to build. Oh, wait.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's been, uh, so Replo has actually been quite helpful to, uh, test like all kinds of things before we, we actually get it, get it built out. Let's switch
0: gears. I want, I want to pick your brain on some advice for Shopify entrepreneurs and merchants listening. If someone has an existing brand, it's successful. You know, they're in that position where they're like, hey, we're, we're selling two, 000, three thousand a month. And obviously at that point, they're like, I, there's something here. I want to expand it. I want to grow. How do they do that?
1: It's changed a lot since we started, obviously. Back in the day, it was like, yeah, throw some money into Facebook and see if people react. You should be able to grow that way. Whereas the biggest thing I would say now is build like a great product, obviously. I like everyone would say that. And then the other piece is whatever you should do is build community somehow. So what does that look like for your brand? Like are there people that can be big ambassadors for what you're doing? Um, for us right now, like the estheticians are our best ambassadors. Talk about us all the time. They're always pitching us to their clients. Um, so yeah, if you can find anything organic, it's pretty big right now. And I would say the last thing is probably expect to grow slower than... Uh, People will tell you, like, if you talk to me, here's how fast we grew, here's how quick. But just with the market, unless you can truly figure out how to scale ads, it's not like it used to be. They'll just grow slower and it's totally fine. Like, it's not a big deal. You look at a lot of brands, like, they started in 1990 and they're still, like, doing well now. So, yeah, it all kind of compounds, I would say, over the years.
0: For sure. I mean, just, it's uh, that old metaphor of you're building a house brick by brick. Right. And when you're standing up close to it, it doesn't seem like much. But after a while, you look and go, oh, there's a house here. Uh, one piece of advice you wish you had when you were starting Balm, which you may have just given it. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, no, I would say the big thing for me, uh, if I was starting out, I, w- I wish I had more insight into like what's impactful. And yeah, early on you tend to just crush work because you're like, oh, I'm gonna make this thing a big success, like here's what I'm gonna do uh, versus like building out your one year plan for it. So it's almost like slow down to go faster. Um, Cause generally speaking, like first year I just tinkered with the theme and like I had zero traffic to the theme. So like, why did I tinker it? No one saw the theme I was working on. So I, my, I really should have been focused on, hey, get more traffic. Um, so things like that, where if someone just said, hey, what are you focusing on you would be like, oh this this and this and they would say oh have you thought about this um those types of just conversations I, I didn't have um and then i think the other one would be the more you could talk to people about your idea the better um so no one's generally going to steal your idea and if they do i'm sorry i just told you this but talk to people ask hey have you thought of this or what do you think of this have you seen our can i show you our website can you give me feedback like just getting opinions um, for us, it changed at that Etsy show, right? We could have went with what we thought worked and what we thought worked actually was very far from uh, what the customers actually wanted.
0: Oh, yeah. It sounds like that was really kind of a pivotal moment early on. What do you think are uh, one or two key factors for success?
1: Yeah, it's tough Tough right now. I think channel, like understanding what channels are going to work for you and what channels are going to scale are, are pretty huge right now. And in the world of beauty and I'm sure other industries, um, there's a lot of uh, scrutiny on, say, you're like direct-to-consumer only. There's a lot of scrutiny on, okay, how sustainable is this? So if you're running just paid ads and that's all your traffic, you probably should diversify and make sure you have traffic from other sources. Um, for us, getting into retail was actually a much better play because uh, if you think about the scalability, like where do you, where do women buy razors? It's typically like the pharmacy, right? how many pharmacies are in the U.S.? Like hundreds of thousands. Um, how many waxing salons are in the U.S.? There's like 300,000. So it's like a, an absurd market, whereas D to C, we're fighting with everyone else. So understanding your channel options as well as uh, your, I guess, consolidation spend and where it's going, I think is pretty big uh, this time of, I guess if you're launching right now. And then the last one would be do all the basic things that seem very obvious like set up your email welcome flow, set up your email abandoned cart, make sure you have like an about us, a contact us page, like all those basic things, like check those out first because most people I find uh, forget about that stuff. And then you wonder why your ads aren't converting. And it's it's probably because you're not collecting emails and you're not nurturing people through the funnel, I think. It, it's
0: good advice. I couldn't agree more.
1: And don't, uh, you guys say it all the time, don't look at your website on desktop once. Like just don't do it. Like we, that's a big thing. Our merchandisers like don't even look at it on your desktop because it's less than ten percent of traffic. Like it's not even worth it. Like only look at mobile.
0: Yeah, the desktop site exists for the
1: owners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, For
0: other web professionals. Oh, it's a nightmare. The mobile site's what everyone else actually uses.
1: Yeah, exactly. That advice uh, is the silliest one, but you'll catch yourself every day looking at the desktop, and you you shouldn't even bother.
0: Yeah. No. It it needs to be said. Uh it's December 2023 looking forward any predictions trends what do you think anything uh, shaping the future of e-commerce we should be aware of
1: Yeah I I I think the next couple of years are going to be kind of like hold on and hold your breath um and a lot of people right now say like especially in our industry like scaling D2C um investors years ago would say oh yeah like why are you bothering with retail it doesn't make any sense like, scale D2C Whereas now it's completely flipped, like in the three year span, it's gone from now like, oh, uh, we actually disregard most of your DTC revenue. And you're like, what? How do you, so most people now are like retail, retail, retail. But how I see it is it's like build the strong foundations and like scale appropriately, whatever that means for you, whether it's like profitable, not profitable, spending if you're like venture backed, all that, scale appropriately. And I think there's going to be a moment in time where DTC becomes extremely desirable again, because there's levers that we could pull again. So it's going to come back. Ads are going to come back in some way. It might even be a new channel, a new place to get eyeballs, whatever that is. And then, yeah, I do think the other side of it, too, is there's going to be a lot of different channel options that might come, in my opinion. So we're focused on waxing salons, but there's a lot of these other channels that uh, aren't in like the digital world yet, where like the ability to service them is very old school. And there's going to be a lot of disruption in just how do you service certain markets? Because um, there, there's a lot of distributors for different types of markets, which I think some disruption will probably come there.
0: I think you're right. Well, we'll see. Uh, cause now that we have committed this to the internet, you can always go back and prove how wrong we may or may not have been.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love that.
0: <laughs> I'd prefer not to. What What's next for you and Bushbalm?
1: Uh, yeah. So this year was our best year ever, I would say. Um, so next year, right at the start of the year, we're growing the team. I think we have four jobs opening, which is uh, is amazing. Um, so yeah, our, our goal for the next few years is there, like I said, there's about 300,000 waxing salons in the US. So we want to get to ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 in a couple of years, which is huge endeavor to do, but we're, we're kind of working on that. And then we're with Alta Beauty and there's so much more growth for us there, so we're, we're doubling down on that one retailer to push sales and people to grow. Um, and then, yeah, the future we'll see kind of what happens. We haven't done any international, other than for us, USA is international, but nothing in Europe, Australia, anything like that. But that that could be a big place we grow. And I think next year we're launching 12 products, which is a, a bit absurd. Um, so it should be our it should be our busiest year ever with product launches. Um, and typically in beauty cosmetics, you'll see like two launches a year. So we're trying to build a new business model that's uh, a little outside the norm of the, the industry.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, and David, if we wanted to get Bushbalm for ourselves, where do we go?
1: Yeah, so we do not uh, the same store with Shopify markets, but we have two separate. Um, someday I'll sort that out. But uh, bushbalm.com or bushbalm.ca and then um, probably best off, you can just go to alt uh, we've we've got one kind of everywhere in the U S. Um, and then if you do want to support someone local, uh, we've got about 3000 estheticians across Canada, and the U S that I guarantee if you go to our stockist on our site, uh, you'll find one probably within five kilometers of you. Um, for, for sure. Like very, very close.
0: Excellent. Uh, it, David, David Gaylord, Bush bumps care. Thank you
1: so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: The unofficial Shopify podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. You wanna offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like Studs, Princess Polly, Code Epoxy, to turn returns into returning customers. Find out why thousands of Shopify merchants choose Loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com. That's loopreturns.com.